place in the retreat where some of the fruits begin to appear from our practice, which may be some uh, fruits of uh, of um, steadiness and peace and gatheredness, but also the fruits of uh, of of our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> As Ajahn Sajita would say, eyeball to eyeball with our karma, with the momentum of our life and everything that's that's gone before. And not such a comfortable fruit, but this is also part of <laughs> the uh, the result of this practice. It's, uh, as uh, Carl Jung said, that enlightenment isn't just imagining figurines of light, but bringing, illuminating that which is in the shadows, you know, that which is don't really want to hang out with, not so comfortable to be with, um, so challenging. So if you feel challenged, that's that's about how it is. <laughs> that's about right. <laughs> if you feel peaceful and you can just extend metta and loving kindness to the rest of us, <laughs> that will help. <laughs> so this is, uh, it's not easy, this work, you know, I mean... So, however long one practices, it's still not easy. No, it's still always uh, some something to to be with that is not comfortable. So, it's very important in in our practice, and a, a very common misunderstanding is to think that uh, it's just going to be uh, somehow we have this internal narrative that it's just going to be this sort of endless upwardly moving trajectory into peace and calm and bliss and however many times I tell myself and teach that it's not quite like that that sort of somehow persists in some subtle way so that when disturbance arises this disturbance then we automatically uh, interpret that as something going wrong or, or, or maybe failing somehow, but actually something's going right. <laughs> it's just not according to our to the frame that we've had. You know? So we have to sh- adjust the frame that we're working within to understand that as, as is laid out in the uh, foundations of mindfulness, that this practice is also about the purification of beings. So that uh, it's about this uh, coming into touch with that which disturbs and undermines and wobbles and and um, is is painful to be with is coming to touch with that, but coming to touch with that in a different way than we usually are in relationship to that. Usually, when those the the the, the, the momentum of our un, undigested um, psycho-emotional dynamic or just the momentum of what life is beyond our control and the circumstances of that the instability of it the uncertainty of it the challenge of it as that impacts coming into relationship with that through the cultivation of of this um, steadying and mindfulness that's a different kind of relationship than one that is um, sort of just uh, overwhelmed or or lost in what arises and activated then into some of our deeper patternings of 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 collapse or or despair or or just um, anxiety. 
So it's very important to to if we as we reframe or hold a larger template for the practice to have a sense for these two dimensions of of meditation that the Buddha taught as as they complement each other and inform each other. This first territory or dimension, samatha meditation, is uh, the meditation samatha, literally meaning the calming of the thinking, cognitive processes. So calming, steadying, the samadhi, as Kirisara was talking about last night, this gathering, based upon taking attention, which is usually hijacked often by the momentum of the force of 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 the habits of mind, the feelings and the reactivity, taking that same quality of attentiveness and bringing it to 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 a more stable, perhaps less complex field of experience, say for example, the breath, breath within the body. It's not that it's, it can also come into the body, it can be also not that comfortable, generally speaking, but it is, especially if we start to gain some skill in orientating around sensation and experience within the body that's not just activated, but it's more steady, maybe more in the extremities of the body, or like the breath at the nostrils. Generally speaking, there's not a lot of emotional content there. It's just a, just a very simple sensation. And if it's very difficult to be with the body or be with the material we're with, just maybe steadying at something very place very neutral like the breath at the sensation of the nostril if we can find it or opening the awareness maybe to if the, even being within the field of the body and breath is too difficult opening the awareness to maybe just hear the sound um, this these kinds of ways of being begin to help us with some steadiness with some capacity so the samatha, the calming meditation, is really developing a, a, an abiding uh, here and now that is not based so much on external circumstance of always having to find some situation for our well-being outside of ourselves, but it's the slow and patient cultivating cultivation of an inner resource um, which we can return to and continue to develop that leads to, a, as the Buddha said, a, a more profound pleasure than any sensory pleasure. So it's uh, worth co- cultivating as a resource. And also is the base. It becomes and is the base. It's not the, an end in itself. The meditation that was taught before the Buddha's awakening was primarily in that sphere of, of jhana, of profound absorptions. His particular um, brilliance was to actually um, turn that, take that base and that foundation to begin to contemplate um, the, the, f- the phenomena of experience and to investigate that with this laser-like um, inquiry and, and, and um, like the, a sort of observation of a scientist almost, what, what is actually reality. <clears throat> so this second sphere, this inquiry, is called vipassana usually. This how the term has been coined 
very popularly in 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 uh, contemporary meditation circles there's other ways of defining that than the buddha defined but generally speaking this is a term that means insight seeing into really exploring our experience so we're not just sort of subtly trying to avoid and push away what disturbs but actually a part of insight meditation is allowing ourselves to be disturbed for the sake of not only the purification of beings but for the liberation of the heart the ground of insight its fruit its 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 um objective is for um, is for this uh, liberation, freedom from false assumptions, confusing, being confused by what moves through the heart, through awareness, this subtle process of struggle, not so subtle, identification, owning, claiming, being shaped by the patterning of our experiencing and then shaping the sense of self around what is actually in many ways um, phenomena um, that is transient. It's a very sort of loose frame to frame what is actually quite a complex territory. To see moments of seeing what we might have identified with and become overwhelmed by and shaped by even one moment, say from shifting from I am a hopeless case to there is and then really exploring what what is there here? There is this, maybe if we name it as a mind state, there is overwhelm or confusion or distress in some way or a feeling of loneliness or a feeling of being unsupported or a feeling of estrangement or sadness or 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 boredom or dullness or restlessness, anxiety or anger. You know, so when we are not that awakened and not illuminating that that state of mind from a place of of investigation, then automatically we are. We say, "I am this," and then from there, that small "I" word then creates a complexity of struggle. It's then to try and fix and sort and place and then work the world out to try and shape it in such a way as create some sort of comfort and security for this very fragile I. And that is something that's important to do at some level. But, you know, working at this more subtle level, we realize how endless that is and how fragile that is and how fraught so so to begin to explore where do we place then this refuge, where do we place, you know, so the exploration to be able to begin to move to just saying there is, there is upset here, whatever the quality of it, disturbance, a lack of stability. And it can so easily conflate into all our life patternings, all our life stories, all our inner narratives, about you know how 
placeless we can feel. And it's very painful <laughs> when that happens, that conflation. So it's a lot of struggle. So it's just to be able to have this, this steadiness that we've been cultivating one breath at a time to get some handle of that sort of a dynamic. Just say, take a breath. Feel the sensation. Come into touch with the ground. Take another breath. Feel, you know, keep keep just simplifying in that way and then in a moment just to turn or to allow yourself to receive what is not easy to be with and just know rather than I am all of this you know that's a sort of relative some relative truth in that but it's also true to say this is a passing state that has this configuration and is so compelling and so so um, impinging, so shaping of our whole experience. So to be able to just say there is upset. And then as we inquire further through this uh, insight meditation to look what is the nature of it and then to bring it, and this is where um, the brilliance of the, the Buddha's teaching is to help us find our ground through the body, to bring it into this moment where is this appearing now now maybe we can then begin to see the thought forms and then underneath that or conflated within that there's a, the feeling tones so then beginning to be able to bring that same quality of attention that we brought say to the the breath to something more neutral neutral more steadying physical sensation or to sound if we're working on sound or listening to bring that same quality of attention then to what is usually mixed in with the source of whatever is disturbing to us is this quality of feeling tone and and being able to maybe bring attention there begins to help Sort of like un, you're going under beneath the cognitive complexity, which can really take us into a completely discombulated state <laughs> with no ground left. You know, it's very difficult. I can tell you this because I'm there a lot, <laughs> putting myself out from the edge of a pit. You know, just uh, one breath at the nostrils now, I think, to Nisra. <laughs> Take a deep one, deep breath. <laughs> Okay, and then so where is the feeling tone here? Is in the second foundation? Is this either pleasant or unpleasant? What's the quality? Well, we could say it's not that pleasant. You know. Okay, so it's so that's very already. There's some dispassion there. There's some handle on it, rather than oh my god, what am I going to do? And it's all collapsing, and it's horrible, and it's like okay, it's unpleasant feeling. It's like, yeah, this is, we all share. It's not, because the other thing is when we go into that kind of very hyper-energized, those states that feel very peculiar to us, we also start to feel quite isolated. Everyone else looks pretty peaceful, but me, my God, (laughs) if only they knew. You know, but actually we have to understand this is all of us. You know, we all are in a stew 
of some sort or another for a lot of the time and we have moments when yes we sort of feel that that deliciousness of the samadhi and it's something we should continue to cultivate but the stew is what we need to know about and how it activates us and how it configures and shapes these patternings of the self of me and the world and the relationship to that is quite complex can take, you know can ricochet down into very primary patternings to do with the sense of love and belonging and acceptance so those flavors of that can come up into our awareness and will come up because they're there to be met they're actually there not to actually do us in but they're there because they need to be met and there's some capacity to meet them actually even if we think we don't have that So taking a breath and being able to steady this insight, you know, and it's not necessarily always with difficult states, but I think they do um, are worthy of quite a lot of mention. can also be just a subtle inquiry into the nature of thinking, or storying, cognition, perception. So is it pleasant or unpleasant? It's just this. And then the Buddha encourages, don't add more on top of that. Don't, as, as some of you know, the, the, the sutta on the dart sutta. You know, it's an unpleasant feeling. And then you add even more on top, like, why me? And where did this come from? And what is my bad karma? And it's always going to be like this. And no one's going to be there for me. And then the next thing, we dig a hole even deeper. And we feel very constricted. And this is what the Buddha called the whole mass of dukkha. <laughs> and it's all emerged from this mind. But also what can emerge from this mind is the way to over, overcome dukkha. Turn it around, grow through it, meet it, and then just in this simple way, yes, unpleasant. This state, even if you say this is, this is dukkha, and then not to just have to um, be completely uh, subsumed by that, but to take a breath, take a breath. It's just not that pleasant. Just knowing that. So the Buddha, before his awakening, it said in the archetypal story, he was sitting under the Bodhi tree and taking the vow just to sit there as he had to find some other way than all the pathways that had gone before that weren't working. It's a quite a powerful moment when it relates to our own journey. Nothing else quite worked. So the place again of this surrender and opening, sitting under the Bodhi tree, open, just present, just here, just with his breath. That's all he was doing. And then it said the whole array of Mara, all the forces, the Hasatan, everything there came to tempt all the sort of longing for home and for comfort and for familiarity and all the all the fears and anxieties about what if and all the self-doubts about who do you think you are and all the the desire and lust and longing and craving 
and all the the, the aversion. Uh, you know, you just just everything that could come to destabilize and undermine and overwhelm appeared like a great show of the shadow play. So, you know, the Buddha could have got out his AK-47 and just, you know, <laughs> just shoot it all down, you know. But it's interesting, you know, what, what, what's, the, what's, what's the archetypal most um, conducive response in that moment for liberation? So he just he just recognized these this 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 display of the mind, and his response was, "I know you. I know you. Just that much. I know this. I know. I know these hindrances. I know. I know. <laughs> I've been there many times. This is." These are these ancient forces as they operate within this mind. I know desire, wanting always to go somewhere else. I know aversion, so I was feeling resistant, upset. I know this feeling of dullness and heaviness and wanting to just shut down, not be here. I know this restlessness, agitation, anxiety of the mind. And I know this addictive thinking, doubting, self-sabotaging, worry. These are the the spheres of the five classical hindrances that we're encouraged not to um, avoid, but to contemplate. We won't really um, get to the end of them if we don't know them. (laughs) So they have to arrive, they have to come before us as they did to the Buddha. And we have to know them again and again, until one day they don't fool us so much. They don't completely rob us of our inner well-being and destabilize us to the extent that we have no ground left in our authentic, awakened, aware, present, brilliant, beautiful nature. that it has every right to belong, to be here. As that's why the Buddha touched the earth. This was his ultimate witness. To have been with him through many lives, through many kinds of situations, through all sorts of configurations. And was there at that night of awakening, completely alone, was abandoned by all, everyone, everything. No other course was left open for him, actually, in his society, in his culture, nothing. He'd done it all, left it all, and had been also abandoned. 
But this earth was had always been there. So touch touching the earth, calling the earth as his witness. This is my witness, the great mother earth. You belong here. We belong here. So today, as we practice, to really encourage us not to, um, not then to just uh, throw out the practice we've been doing the last few days of the calming and the steadying. This is the foundation, as Ajahn Chah said, these two, the, the samatha, the calming, the vipassana, the insight, he said they're like um, a candle you know if you if you want to light a flame on the candle to see in a dark room and you want to illuminate what's in the room then you need to have some wax otherwise you light the you light the flame it just keep going out so you light the flame then it has something to burn then you can see you can look but if you just build a great big candle but you never light it <laughs> it's very impressive but you don't really use it for what its purpose is, actually. So just to meditate, to, to endlessly, the endless struggle to ever be peaceful, without understanding the mind is never really quite peaceful. You know, that the peace really is in, the, in this relinquishment. Or to, to practice, to, to, to calm the mind, which is good and skillful, and we can, and we can experience that calming. And, but it can be disturbed. But to only aim for that as an outcome is going to lead us to, to having to either inwardly feeling a failure because we can't manage to control the states of mind or frustrated at ourselves and judgmental of ourselves, or we start to get very, uh, one of those sort of cranky meditators that gets upset when people disturb us. Like when I, after my first meditation retreat, when I, um, I didn't really have much sort of classical right view, as they say, wisdom practice. Uh, it's just all about, you know, focusing samadhi practice. So I came back as a student this is in the UK and set up my meditation mat and can okay, sit here and go peaceful and then this ice cream van came outside it's like on and on the next thing I sort of rushed out and told the man to I won't say my language, it's not very repeatable. And, but would you, would you move on, please? Because he's disturbing my meditation. <laughs> and then I, I thought, of, I thought that can't be right. So I must have missed something here. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we do all the time, you know. It's like, you know, could you please move over there because you're disturbing me. So, so we allow ourselves to be disturbed if disturbance happens, but we don't, we, we meet it, we can now meet it with even a little modicum of skill. And that's really important, you know, so the last thing I want to really mention for our practice today is, you know, to keep developing and cultivating a mindfulness of breath and body as our base, as the candle, if you like, this is our foundation. 
And if not, you know, not much is happening. We don't have to go on an archaeological dig. Okay, so now I've got some peaceful. So I have to go into all my primary patternings. It, it will come. <laughs> you know, so enjoy that. Enjoy that. Develop that. Cultivate that. But then if the hindrances arise or disturbance or we feel overwhelmed or say don't just go into the pattern of collapse as we usually do to the extent or just really, really believing all those inner states but to the extent that we can you know say i've got a little bit of skill now i just can bring thy attention to this state so and then slightly depersonalize it there is uncomfortable feeling here and i know this as uncomfortable feeling just that much just to just as you don't have to do a big psychological analysis just do it that much and then just stay bring the breath and awareness there and just allow the awareness to do the work you know, they're investigating, you know, is this, is this changing? Is it permanent? So as our Chinese master, Master Xinhua, would say, you begin to experience that, the, that rather than the state changing you, the state changes. And what remains? Peace is here. Always has been, always is. But in that process is a big territory because things can get very, very intense. So I want to also mention working with intensity, working with overwhelm. That um, if it feels like it's too difficult, you just find yourself being drawn into the vortex of, of, of the emotional uh, content of whatever you're working with and it's not very conducive, then you can, you don't have to just stay stuck and suffering like mad, you know. If you if you've lost, you know, the, to try and then you can do even small things like maybe open your eyes so you can orientate in the room. Maybe just sort of um, feel your hands and your feet coming to places in the body that feel less activated. When you're walking on on the floor on the ground, feel the sensation of your feet. Just take it a moment as a time as you regain some steadiness. Go to a more spacious, you know, you can just feel a more spacious awareness, not just focusing right in on the point of dukkha, of, of, of difficulty. So take a, a deeper breath, take some deeper breaths. Yeah. Go for a walk if you feel like it's, it's difficult, go to rest. So there's, there's some agency in your relationship to what is difficulty. That's important to know can move out in and out of relations. Sometimes you can't, you're just stuck to it and you have to do the best you can. If you can create some agency, which is quite empowering, to move in and out of relationship with what is difficult so that there's some sense of being able to manage. You're sitting in meditation and and the body becomes painful for, for some that are more new to this practice then it's it's perfectly fine to to stand up. Let's stand up. So you can stand up in the meditation. So it just helps to shift one out of being pulled into a vortex. You just sit and stand up and you just have your feet a little bit uh, apart and so you feel some stability. Maybe your palms are just open the sides of your of your um, thighs, 
And, and then just orientate to a sensation like the feet on the earth. It's very grounding. You know, and then, you know, this, this something like the butho, the word, which I use a lot, particularly with very difficult states or some of my primary patterning that will spin me out. I feel groundless, just this but. Oh, or any phrase, you, know, you can find your own phrase that's meaningful for you, just steadying, steadying. Or it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And then working to, you know, subtly on the out-breath, just to relax through the body, feeling you'll come down into the belly here a bit more. You're pulled, not so up in the vortex of the head. And then allowing the body to to process what it's processing. It's a conduit for so many different kinds of energy. Some of them are, are not so personal, actually. You know, interpret it all personally, but it's not necessarily all about me. So our job is just very simple, just to be with the breath, be with the body as best we can. And to stay mindful, not to get so caught, so collapsed. Patiently, kindly. And come back into our sitting. As as Rilke, great poet, said, no feeling is final, just keep going. (laughs) It's a great line. Finding our body in our sitting posture. And again and again, as we've been doing, feeling the ground beneath us. Receiving what's present. And if it's helpful, taking a deep, slow breath into the body. Feeling that breath suffuse through the body and as you breathe out, just softening the jaw and the shoulders, softening the belly.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.